Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Last week I spoke to you, eventually spoke to you, <clears throat> on the topic of key to res- the key to the resurrection. The concept of the idea that the infilling of the Holy Ghost, having the Holy Ghost within us, that, that thing that the Bible says that quickens our mortal bodies, it quickens and transforms our spirit as God sounds that trumpet through the angel and he returns for his people and pulls them out of this world at the point we call the rapture. The key to survival was the infilling of the Holy Ghost, keeping that oil full in our bodies, that, waiting for that moment. And folks, I gotta tell you, day by day and, and, and week by week, I begin to feel more and more as I talk to other pastors and ministers around the country and in our own area here, many believe that the time for Jesus to do that is very short. And so we know that that constant refilling of the Holy Ghost, that constantly seeking God, we had a wonderful time in our 10-10-10 worship. Thank you so much that are willing to come and pray in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and talk in the Spirit and worship God in the Spirit. It's important to continue to fill that oil in preparing for God's return. If you remember the virgins in, in Matthew chapter 25, they were waiting for the bridegroom to come at some hour they knew not, but they had to keep the oil and their lamps full. That's what the key to resurrection was all about. But between now and then, there's a different key. There's a key to survival. We've got to survive starting today until that point when God comes. And we don't know. It does, I'm not saying it's five minutes from now. It could be five or 15 or 20 years or longer. That's God's will. That's his decision. But we know that we feel that the time is soon. But we've got to survive. We've got to make it. The Bible says that the righteous would scarcely be saved. Because times will become challenging. The world is going to continue to come after us and they're going to continue to seek our carnal spirit, our carnal minds, this flesh, and do everything they can to try to draw it away from God. Entertainment and, 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 and illicit things in terms of stimulating our bodies, drugs and alcohol and cigarette smoking and all these different things that go after the carnal nature of the body for pleasure purposes and all of those things, not to mention the emotional side of things. Turn on your TV and get angry up, get fired up about all the things that are happening, begin hating other people. All these carnal things are going to continue to come at you every single day in every way that you have. If you've got a cell phone, the carnal material of this world is coming at you. If you still have television, if you've got the internet, the carnal world is still going to continue to come at you. Survival is going to be critical, and there's a key to survival from this day, from this day until the point that God has the angel blow the trumpet. And this church is called away. There's a key to survival that I want to share with you today. But first, I want to give you a model. I want to talk to you about a model that's given us in the word of God that kind of takes us in that direction. In Exodus chapter 19, we see that the people of Israel, the the, the children of Israel, led by Moses and Aaron and Hur, are in the wilderness. They've been in the wilderness for three months, traversing after escaping Egypt. You know that Egypt represents living in a worldly life. Egypt, for you, was when you, before you knew God, you were in Egypt. When you were living according to your flesh, without God in your life, you were in Egypt. You were in bondage in Egypt, just like the Israelites were. And so for three months, after having gone through the Red Sea, the model of baptism for us. They had gotten through the Red Sea because of God's miracle. In three months, they traversed the desert. They come to the camp at the base of Sinai, Mount Sinai. 
Now, I want you to understand that in Scripture, being on the mountaintop, going to the mountaintop is very significant. It's a like, it's a shadow, it's a, it's a symbolic of the ultimate connection with God. Eventually, it will be symbolic of heaven. It will be on the mountaintop, when we're there, it's when we've reached the mountaintop, when we're in heaven. And so in the Bible, mountaintops are very significant. You remember, of course, Mount Horeb, Mount Carmel, where Elijah met the prophets, the Mount of Olives in the garden where Jesus prayed, Mount Ararat, where Noah's Ark landed, Mount Moriah, where Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, Mount Hermon, of course, the Mount of Transfiguration, where Elijah and Moses peered with Jesus. On the mountaintop, on the mountaintop. What's unique and significant about each of those mountaintop experiences? God met the people there at the mountaintop. And so after that three-month journey, the people of Israel come to the base of Mount Sinai and God is dealing with Moses, the leader. In, in, in Exodus 19 and, and 1 and 2, it's where they camp at the base of Mount Sinai. At this time, and if you read through that portion of Exodus, ironically, only Moses is allowed to go completely to the top of the mountain. Uh, Aaron and her can come a certain way. Some of the, I think, 70 of the Levite priests are allowed to come some of the way. But God actually instructs that the people be buried down at the base. They can't go any further. He tells Moses to put up barriers so they have to stay in the camp. Now, that's a like and a type and a shadow, I believe, of the veil that was placed in the temple that separated God's presence from the rest of the people. Only the priest, if you remember, could go under that veil and be in the presence of God. And so they're there. And in Exodus chapter 20 through 24, now a lot of people because of, of TV and movies and all those things think that, that uh, Moses was called up to the top of Sinai and there God gave him the law and the Ten Commandments. Not true. In Exodus chapter 20 and 24, before Moses was called up to the mountaintop, uh, God talks to Moses. He gives him the Ten Commandments and the law. And if you read through 20 and 24, it's extensive. And I don't know how Moses did it. God gave him divine memory or some sort of a recording device in his brain. But God just tells him all the parts of the law, speaks it all out to him, and Moses retains all of that. But before he goes up to the mountain, he receives all of that information. It's on the mountain where he receives the tablets. And 24, 4, uh, th 4 through 8 is when the people, when Moses speaks to them the law before he goes to get the tablets. He's down at the base. He's with the people. He speaks to them the law. Come on, he's the preacher. He's the pastor of the church. God had given him the word. He takes the word to the people. He preaches it to them. And what do the people do in 24, 4 through 8? They they pronounce a covenant, they pledge a covenant to serve God and to live according to his law. And then Moses covers the people in a blood sacrifice. You see the imagery there? It's the same process that we went through. The pastor came, the preacher came, whatever church you were in or where you were, when you decided to make that covenant, you came forward, you repented in Jesus' name. The spilling of the blood here represents that repentance, you know that. And so uh, all the people pledged a covenant. We're gonna serve you, God. Isn't that great? They've come out of bondage. They were preached the word. Moses puts the blood on them and they are redeemed and they're part of God's covenant now. How many have been through that process? Come on now. 14 out of the whole group. Just kidding. Just seeing who's listening. Uh, but you understand what I'm saying? They've gone through that process. It's a type and shadow. It's a repentance. It's that death sacrifice. And it's a baptism into his covenant. Matthew 26 and 28, Jesus told the disciples, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. 
So we know that was the shadow, that was the the image, the symbolism of what God had done there. Now in Exodus 24, 12 through 18, Moses goes up into the mountain to meet God. God calls him up to go and meet with him and receive the tablets of the Ten Commandments. There's a thousand messages that could be preached from the place where Moses stood at the base of the mountain preaching the word from the time he went to the top and met with God. I don't have time to preach all of those today. But... Trust me, it's a powerful, powerful time and there's a lot of detail in Exodus chapter 24. But he goes up and he he convenes with God, he meets with God and and, and he receives the Ten Commandment tablets and the stone. Now Aaron and Hur are left to tend the people. Now there's a reason why I'm setting this this idea for you. Uh, Moses fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights through this process without food or without water. Only divinely can that happen. You can't live more than just a few days, three days or so without water. And so, and the only other people in the Bible that did this were Jesus and Elijah. So it's very, very rare. And so God clearly, through a divine way, allowed Moses to fast as he received this great law from him. But while he was there in chapters 25 through 31, God continues to instruct Moses the establishment of the tabernacle, the, the construction of the Ark of the Covenant, the garments for the priests and the high priest. Do you know that he was told that the priests wore stones, were to wear stones with the tribe's names inscribed on them on their shoulders and on their breastplate? That's to tell you that your pastor wears the way of his congregation on his shoulders and on his heart. That's the symbolism that we got there. That's what it meant. He got news and information about the garment, sanctification, and anointed the priests of the oil. Of course, we know that represents the Holy Spirit. The blood sacrifices that they had to do represents atonement. The week of consecration where the priests were to eat the flesh of the sacrifices, even sometimes the priests of the house have to stop the work of the Lord and have some nourishment. They need the word of God themselves. They've got to be fed. We all need to be fed the word of God sometime during the course of our ministry. Look at this quote from Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorites. He says, I know some good people who are very busy indeed in the service of God, and I'm very delighted that they should be, but I would caution them against working and never eating. They give up attending the means of grace as hearers because they have so much to do as workers. There's a warning in that for us. We get too busy about the function of being here in the house of God and doing our jobs. If we're not, we don't have an altar lifestyle, if we're not praying down here at the altar, if we're not ever in the sanctuary, if we're just finding our busy time and finding righteousness and being about the work of God and we don't eat, we could be in trouble. In Exodus chapter 31 and 18, God gives Moses the tablets of stone written with his finger, the Bible says. Later on, Peter pens this in 1 Peter 2 and 5, for ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. Do you know that the law should be written in your heart? The tablets of stone are now tablets of flesh here in your heart. It says are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. That's you to offer up spiritual sacrifices, worship and praise that are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You see, I'm taking you to the place where you need to understand that the priest of that time are you, the priest of now. You're the holy priesthood. He says it again in 1 Peter 2 and 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. This applies to every single one of you. In Exodus chapter 32 then, Israel steps into idolatry. They've been left at the camp. Uh, They don't know where Moses is. They literally stayed. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. 
So here they are. They've been led all the way through this process. Moses has never been out of their sight. He's been there with them for three months, leading them out of captivity. He's gone for just a little while, and right away, their carnal minds, their flesh is turning to someone else, other gods. They said, we want a God that's gonna go out before us. In other words, we want a leader. Later on, Israel does the same thing when they demand a king. God's not good enough as a king for us. We want a man that we can see, that's tangible. We want something in the flesh. I believe that it's at this time is when for the first time, the true carnal nature of, of the children of Israel it really began to come out. This is where the spirit of carnality and flesh entered into the children of Israel like never before. Because you see, while they were in Israel, they were just captive in bondage. You know that while you're a sinner, God doesn't see any of your in particular sins. It's all just sin to him. You're just, you're just a sinner that hadn't come to him yet. He doesn't look whether, whether or not you're a thief or an adulterer. It doesn't matter. God's not a respecter of persons and he doesn't see it that way. You're just an unrepentant sinner. That's why we can't just judge any one particular person over whether they're a good sinner or a bad sinner or a really terrible sinner because to God it's all sin they just need God in their lives and we've got to be careful about judging what it is and who they are and what they do because it doesn't matter to God what matters to God is that we love them and show them that the pain and the anguish and the terror and the destruction that sin brings in their lives they can be freed from it amen so they were in captivity. They were in bondage. They couldn't go and do things. They couldn't party and revel and, and get into all this stuff. They had one job, make bricks and move them. That was it. So God tells Moses what's happening at the base of the mountain, worshiping the false gods. Sexual immorality was happening. Perverse behaviors were happening. Great sin. And this was just two months Two months after they had just pledged a covenant to follow God's law with Moses. That's all it took for them to turn away. See, because the key to, to survival, the model that they were giving there, now the flesh has entered, or the carnality has entered into the people of Israel. They learned how to party. They were, Moses came down from the mountain. He didn't hear the sound of war. He didn't hear the sound of praise and worship. He heard the sound of singing and dancing. And they were being perverse and partying. They were worshiping a golden calf. Actually, a young bull is the real translation of that. And they had made fashion for themselves a god. Through who? Through Aaron. Aaron is the one who did it. A priest. A priest allowed them, as they asked him, make us a god. And he said, okay. <laughs> Just like that. Break off your earrings. Give me some gold. I'll make you something. And then when they started worshiping that calf, and they liked it, and Aaron saw that they liked it. It says in the word, you could follow it. Aaron kind of got, wow, this is pretty groovy. They like my calf. All right. Then he really got into it and failed God miserably. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Now that the carnality had entered into the people of Israel, they learned how to party and do horrible, terrible things. They, they figured out how to sin and how to sin in great ways. Uh, our world today is figuring out horrible things even at a greater level, stuff that I can't believe. I heard a, I heard a story, I'm not gonna get into it. It's so despicable and disgusting to me, but there's a judge in the city of Milwaukee that was just arrested for, for, for passing videos. I can't even begin to tell you what the content of the videos was. It is so horrific and despicable and despisable that this man, watched and transferred videos of some of the most horrific things you could possibly imagine is happening in the city of Milwaukee. A judge, no less, over the area of juvenile and, and uh, 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 children's protective services. 
though what the mind of man can conceive. And the Bible says we have not yet seen it, how, how grotesque and horrible it can be. Be in the rapture, folks. Keep your oil up. Don't be here when that, that trumpet sounds. Don't even think you're going to make it past because we haven't begun to see the horror of what man can, can create through the spirit of carnality coming from the enemy. Romans chapter 8, starting the first verse. There is thou ne- therefore now no condemnation. Many of you love this verse and know it. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. In other words, the enemy cannot condemn you if you are walking in the spirit, doing what God has led you to do, being where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing, brother and sister Meyer. Follow. God, there is no condemnation for you if you are walking in Christ Jesus and following his will. Uh, who walk not after the flesh, it says, but after the spirit. For the, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, it could only go so far. They had just gotten the law from God. It was so fresh and brand new. It wasn't even old. There wasn't even dust on the, on the ink yet. And they had already begun to fail God. That was the failing of the law. They could turn away so easy. But Paul is made free from the law by the Spirit. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Look, how many laws do we have in the world now, right? And what, are the, what, is, what do our carnal leaders want to constantly do? Make a new law, right? Especially for gun owners and some other people. You know, don't just do the right thing. Don't persecute the people or prosecute the people that break the laws. Just make more laws, right? But it's the laws of the flesh. That's why people still use guns and do bad things with them right? Punish the criminal, not the law-abiding person, but they just keep making more laws for the law-abiding. You get it? The law is weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and you must understand, Jesus was without sin. He was not sent in sin. He was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, God robed himself in a likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, he looked just like you and me. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. He looked like a sinner. He just likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, he showed it can be done through me. Verse four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now listen to verse six, this is very powerful. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is completely adverse to everything God stands for. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Remember I said the key to survival is defeating the flesh. That's the first part of it. I'm gonna get to the rest in a moment. We've got to defeat the flesh. Well, pastor, I live in the flesh. I work every single day. You can defeat it. You don't have to succumb to the things that the enemy is going to tempt you with. God knows he gives you the strength through the Holy Ghost. He gives you the direction in his word. You do not have to succumb to the things of the flesh. You don't have to walk in the flesh. If you have a terrible habit of backbiting, if you have a terrible habit of looking at things on internet you shouldn't look at, if you have a terrible habit of cussing, if you, whatever it might be that comes out of the flesh, you do not have to succumb to that. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you've got the power inside you to take control of it and defeat it in your life. Does that mean you're always going to perfect? You're not going to, you know, 
if you've got a cuss problem, somebody cuts you off on the highway and you let one rip off once in a while, does that mean that's all going to go for you forever? Maybe not. But you better be ready to repent and get that right and seek God to defeat that thing in your life. Because if you're living in the flesh and this is dominating who you are, you cannot please God. That resurrection thing I talked about last week, that's not going to be for you, okay? You've got to walk in the Spirit. He goes even deeper in Romans. Listen to what Paul says, this ominous statement in Romans 8 and 13. Jump down to 13. He says, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. Now he's talking about spiritually speaking. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, that's what I was just talking about, you shall live, mortify. What does mortify mean? It means kill. The word mort, it's the derivative Latin word of death. If you mortify, if you kill the things of the flesh, erase them from your body. If you're a cigarette smoker, I'll just use that as a dumb example, and you eliminate that from your life, you've defeated it, you've mortified that thing out of your body, that desire, that temptation, that, that addiction that you have. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. How does the Spirit of God lead you? How are you led by the Spirit? I'll tell you how. You get up in the morning and the first thing that comes out of your mouth, God be with me today. Thank you for the breath in my lungs. Lord, help me to stay from temptation. Submit to his will. Submit to his word. Submit to his spirit. Submit to his man of God. Submit to everything that he puts into your life. Then he's leading you. When you walk out of the house, God is leading before you because before you did anything, you put him in the place of leading you. You started the day with God. Isn't that awesome? That's not hard, is it? That's not hard to do, to step up, get up in the morning and say, God, I'm gonna put you first today, however the words come out of you. And every place that you walk that day, there he is right in front of you, right in front of you. Wherever you go, see, you're being led by the Spirit. It's not magical, It's a wonderful formula. He made it easy for us. But look at verse 18. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Is there any pleasure? Is there any great joy in a sin of any kind that could surpass the glory that's waiting for us in heaven? Is there anything worth your soul? Is that pack of cigarettes, that, that other addiction, that situation you're dealing with, that uncontrollable tongue, that ability to just rip off some good old horrific criticism, is that really fulfilling enough to say, yep, I'll take that over the glory that's waiting for me? That's what he's saying. See, those are the things of the flesh. I'm just giving you some examples. Please understand. Okay, now Paul carries this message of the flesh battle to the Galatians. Look at Galatians 3 and 3. He says, are you so foolish Having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? And what was happening was, is they had been saved, just like you and I. Why is it that people, when we get saved, we're all zealous and we tell our family and our friends and we come to church and we're at the prayer meeting and we come and help out and we do things, but over time, we just kind of slowly cool down sometimes. You've seen it, I've seen it. I've even been there on my walk in my 39 years. Why is that? Because the flesh starts to prevail. The flesh starts to win the battle. Now we think we're righteous. We think we're good. We go to church and we do our busy work and we do our job and we do our things, right? And we feel righteous because, you know, I took the garbage out for pastor every day so far this week. But are you at the altar refilling your lamps of oil? 
Are you controlling that tongue? Are you stopping those addictions? Are you staying out of the internet? Are you doing the things that are fleshly that take away those things that God wants to do for you? That's the message. The key to survival between now and the day that the the trumpet sounds is that you defeat the flesh in every way that you possibly can. We all start out broken. We're humble before God. We're willing to do what pleases him. We're full of excitement and joy. But if we tend to cool off and we get into the flesh, we sort of lose that zeal. Sometimes, and this is all people everywhere, then, then we start looking around. Look what she does. Look what he does. How come he didn't do that the right way? Why do we do it this way? Why did church change their hours? All of a sudden now, attitudes shift a little bit. Galatians 5 and 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We all know that. We've heard that scripture a million times. But you've got to understand, you've got to break down what it means to walk in the spirit. And I just gave you a little bit of that idea. You've got to be constantly aware. You know that as a Christian, you just can't shut your radar off. You can't turn the computer off and just say, well, church is over. I'm going to go home and just click on the carnal mind. You've always got to be on. Now is the time to keep your batteries charged, your oil filled, your radar on, your computer running full time. I'm sorry if that's exhausting to you, but if you get into the work of God and you start doing some of the things around here that are really awesome and fun and exciting about our ministries and the different things are going, it's amazing what kind of energy you can build up in yourself. I'm full of it right now. Please don't take that into a different phrase. But I'm saying to you is that if you just keep on working at it, you just keep working at what God's got for you to do, all that exhaustion and tiredness and, and fear of losing out on your exercises and your, and your fun things, it'll all come to you in spades many times over. God will fill you with energy and joy and peace. You'll be excited to get to church. You'll be excited to say, yeah, pastor, I want to be in the impact ministries. Hey, listen, I know what impact is, right? I know what impact is. That's the first impression you make on a new person in your church. Sign me up. I want to embrace people. I want to let that new visitor know that God is awesome. I want to see them saved. Don't worry, I won't go over. I've got good peripheral vision. Galatians 6, 8, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. In other words, all the things that you do just to invest in your flesh you think, well, I'll get some good out of that. That'll be good. I need some R&R time. I need some of this. I need, you know, it just reaps corruption, meaning nothing good. It all goes away at the end. You ever hear that? Cliff used to say that old phrase, uh, the, uh, the guy with the most, most toys at the ends dies with a lot of toys. I think that's what it is. <laughs> There's some phrase like that, right? Look at Jesus' warning to his disciples in Matthew 26 and 41. He says, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Every day, folks, every day, every day, radar on, always watching, always defending. The devil is gonna continue to bait his hook with your favorite sin. Your radar must always be on. This is what Jesus is saying. Come on now, preach with me. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, what? If the flesh is weak, what hope do I have? You've got a spirit of God inside you that makes you strong. Do you understand? Take hold of that. Call on it. Jesus, help me. So here's the real key to defeating the flesh. 
the, part, the second part of that. It's the power of the fast. That most unfavorite topic. Now every year we do a consecration fast here at Abundant Life at the beginning of the year and it's wonderful. And we do Daniel fast and we do refiner's fire and everyone has. I do protein shake fast and, I, and that's great and God will honor that and we've seen wonderful things happen. But what I'm telling you right now in this day and age, at this time, what God is calling us to and I have spent time with this. I have been deep with God in this topic. It has been on me and on me and on me. I hope you have pr- uh, prayer and fasting time of your own uh, but there is a deep abiding consecration call to sacrifice before God right now. This is coming from me to what God has put on my heart to you. I want to tell you about Brother Hemingway, our men's leader. Brother Hemingway, several, several weeks ago, had, had decided they felt the move of God. I'm so, I, I'm so honored by Brother Hemingway and his dedication to cover and protect the families of abundant life and pray for each other and pray for the men and their families. They called a fast. They have made a dedication to have a very sacrificial time of fast every week. And the men's consecration is going on right now. And he contacted me and he said, Pastor, do you want to be a part of this? I said, you bet I do. Now, I never gave him my specific fasting method or time or day. uh, And we're going to talk about that. But I said, yes, I'm with you. And since that time, Brother Hemingway tells me they have seen their prayers and their sacrifice avail great things before God. You should be clapping and at your feet. Thankful to God that there's a man of God in our midst that felt a call to say, I want to consecrate and pray over our families. Because you know what they're doing? They're protecting you, wives and daughters and sons, your grandchildren. They're covering and protecting you in prayer and prayer and fasting. And I think that's awesome. Psalms 35 tells us, uh, I believe David wrote, I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer returned into my own bosom. I got blessing for it. Daniel 9 and 3, Daniel said, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting. Joel 2 and 12, the Lord told Joel, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting. Jesus rebuking the disciples' unbelief as he frees the demoniac child. He says, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting there's just going to be some things that you're going to face coming up here that are going to be very unpleasant whether you think it's socialism or you think it's some disease or getting something out of a vaccine there are unpleasant things that are going to come after you and there are those things some things just do not come out but by prayer and by fasting Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 a wonderful man of God prayed all the time lifted up God he began to fast four days Cornelius fasted and God sent him an angel that preceded Peter coming to his house where he preached salvation. And the Bible said his whole house, everybody that was there received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they were baptized. Why? Because a righteous man who wanted God so badly decided to fast for four days. But why fasting? What's the big deal, right? Why is it so important I give up food? Look at Isaiah 58. God speaks to Isaiah about the people excuse me, the people's choice of fast in 58, 6 and 9, 6 through 9 says, is not, is this not the fast that I have chosen? God said to loose the bands of wickedness. That's a good reason. If you're struggling with something, there's a band of wickedness wrapped around you, an addiction you can't break, a problem you have, a mental anguish you're dealing with, fasting will break the bands of wickedness. It says to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke. A yoke is a bondage. 
Yoke is the thing they put on top of the animals, strapped them up, and made them pull carts around everywhere. Verse 7, is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house when thou seest the naked that thou cover him and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? In other words, you fast to break the bonds. You fast to take off the heavy burdens, to take the oppression, take off the yoke, but also to humble yourself to other people. See, when you're fasting, you're selfless. When you're sacrificing, you suddenly become more inherently aware of the needs that are around you. Let me talk a little bit more about what fasting does. Fasting is to sacrifice self. Basically to give to God exclusively and to others. Nothing for yourself. But survival, obviously. Look at verse 8 in that passage. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. And thine health shall spring forth speedily. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shalt thou call and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry and he shall say, here am I. That's what fasting avails. That's what it can bring to you. Why, oh why, would you just be satisfied with the man of God to go to the mountaintop and not go yourself? You see, when the veil was torn in the temple, that was the sign that you could come into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. Why would you not do that? But the same applies for going to the mountaintop. See, Moses went to the mountaintop. They couldn't go. You can go. Why be satisfied with letting me go to the mountaintop and then come back and tell you about it? Come on with me. Sacrifice. Moses fasted and sacrificed so he could go to the mountaintop and be face-to-face with God. Don't let somebody else go to the mountaintop for you is what I'm trying to say. You understand? Moses fasted that 40 days before receiving the commandments, as I said. Esther fasted for the safety of the Jews. Darius fasted for the safety of Daniel. Daniel fasted and prayed for the understanding of a vision he was given. Jesus fasted before the temptation by Satan. 40 days again, no food or water. Paul fasted after his conversion. For three days, no food or water. 84-year-old Anna of the temple worshipped day and night and fasted. Look what a life of fasting will do for you. Fasting is an extended discipline in both the Old and New Testament eras. Fasting and prayer can restore the loss of a first love for your God. That's what I was talking about before when when Paul told the Galatians, you you were spiritual at first, but now is flesh, the perfect flesh, going to take care of you? No. Fasting is a biblical way to truly humble yourself in the sight of God. It enables the Holy Spirit, Spirit to reveal true spiritual condition, resulting in brokenness, repentance, and a transformed life. Trust me, you need to know. You need to be self-aware of the things that God sees in you that maybe need to be fixed. Fasting will encourage the Holy Spirit to quicken the word of God in your heart and his truth will become more meaningful to you. In other words, when you're out there witnessing and the opportunity presents itself, somebody comes up and says, man, you look different. Are you one of those saved people? Yeah, as a matter of fact, and suddenly the Holy Ghost quickens in your body. Fasting will aid in the, in the spirit to quicken that word for you. Fasting can transform your prayer life into a richer and more personal experience. Brother Kyle talked about it this morning. How many of you sat and prayed for something, prayed for something and just didn't hear anything? How many have sat and said, I don't think God hears my prayers. I pray all the time and I just don't, nothing ever happens. 
He talked about this morning about maybe it's just one more pray. Pray again. Pray again. But I'll add one more thing onto Brother Kyle's message. Pray again and put a fast to it. Do something sacrificial and miraculous and spiritual that'll get your answer. God, I need an answer. Moses was very bold with God, by the way. There were times that he just talked right to his face, said, hey, hold on a second. You can't do that. Don't punish the people of Israel that way. You said you were going to do it this way. Sometimes we can be bold with God. Say, God, I just need an answer right now. And what God is saying to you today is add one more prayer, Brother Kyle, and then add some fasting. Fasting can result in a dynamic personal revival in your own life and make you a channel of revival to others. Think about that. You think you're struggling right now. Oh, this Christian thing is tough. Coming to church is tough. You can stand with me this morning. I'm closing. This is a challenge. Things are tough. I got other business going on. I got things to do. I I got a job. I got this and that. I'll tell you what, if you're feeling tired and exhausted and torn away, that's the flesh that's coming at you. And the enemy's going to keep on working it and working it and working it and working it. And what I'm trying to establish with you this morning is that the abundant life saints get a hold of a habit of consecrating time. Whatever God puts on your heart, I believe it should be every week something. And I'm not talking in, in, in those Daniel fasts and, and, and those, those, those protein shake fasts. Those are good. Do those. Do those at different times. But I'm telling you, put something into your life that brings you to a place of a fully consecrated sacrificial fast and God will begin to do amazing things in your life. I've personally seen miracles happen when I've gone to the Lord and fasted and asked him for an answer. There are times I won't get into all of them. I needed God's answer. I needed to know that God was going to heal. I needed to know that God was going to provide. I needed to know. And it was through fasting and through prayer that God gave me an answer. That beautiful, still, soft voice coming into my ear. I've got this. It's going to be okay. Here's your answer again and again and again. I'm going to take you to 1 Peter in our closing this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 7. I want you to look at Peter's warning, but then look at his encouragement. Remember, we're talking about living to defeat the flesh. Starting at verse 7, he says, But the end of all things is at hand. I believe that to be true. Be therefore sober. Doesn't mean just not drinking or drunk. It means be sober, be be diligent. You can have fun, you can smile, you can laugh, you can share a joke once in a while. But be sober-minded, focused, and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. That means great love, powerful love. That's what fervent charity means among yourselves. For charity or love shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Come on now. As every man hath received the gift that great spirit that we're full of, even so, minister the same to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, be kind to one another. Be fervently loving one another, not critical of one another, not allowing the flesh to come between the two of you, of any other person. Jump down to verse 12. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, 
as though some strange thing has happened to you. Things are going to get difficult. More change is coming, I promise you. Those dealing with the difficulty of change. Strap in, hold on tight, put on your seatbelt because it's coming. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, in other words, when that trumpet blows and he comes back, that ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Jesus Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory of, and of God resteth on you, and their part, excuse me, on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. In other words, if people are coming after you because you're a Christian, if you're being detested because of what you believe and what you stand for, that's glory to you in God's eyes. It's evil for them. They get theirs. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief. You know that if you hate your brother, the Bible says that you're a murderer. Or as a thief. How about stealing someone's joy? Or stealing their thunder? That makes you a thief, doesn't it? or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Gossip. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. And now verse 17. For the time has come that the judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And what that's saying is God is looking. He's watching us. We are as children and there's expectations. And if we're struggling with the flesh and we're being drawn away and we're activating and operating and, and acting in the flesh, God knows. He's not pleased with that. He wants you to draw back to him, back to the spirit. Look at verse 18. And if the righteous, as I said earlier, shall scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? It's very simple, folks. This altar is open this morning. God is calling us to a place of consecration. He's calling us to a place to mortify the deeds of the flesh. We all, and I include myself, have to stop the things of the flesh that are destroying us spiritually so that we can have victory, that we can have joy, that we can have revival, that we can have God when he returns. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org. At